now we're going to go into um, the Dirty John. And uh, I want to talk about coercive control. And I think this is going to help people because especially like we've been talking about, you know, ladies that think what's happening is normal and it's not normal. And I found some definitions online and one defined it as a calculated form of abuse that relies on isolation, control, manipulation to dominate victims. And then another definition said it's a strategic form of ongoing oppression and terrorism used to install fear. So I thought that was a very fitting definition. Um, and I didn't realize they call it abuse, but it makes sense because you, know, you only think of like maybe violence, you know, like physical violence, things like that as abuse. And, you know, I mean, you remember probably Elena where we were dealing with that lady that, that her husband burned down or tried to burn down her house. Um, you know, they got back together. They're living in California now, but he like slid tires. He, you know, burnt down her house. I mean, this stuff was, yeah. I mean, it was course of control for sure. And it was escalating. Huh? She did move to California with him. Yep. Still together. Yeah. Which Mm -hmm. I firmly believe he would have heard her. Yeah. He was obsessed. He could not. He probably will still. He might. Eventually. As long as he has control, he'll be fine. Now, um, so, you know, since Deborah, uh, her story, not Brenda, Deborah, since her story exploded through the Dirty John podcast and then the Netflix series, more and more people are, including law enforcement, are starting to look at coercive control as abuse and something that's very dangerous. In England and Wells, they've criminalized it. So to them, it's like stalking. And between 60 and 80% of people um, who get help for abusive uh, or for abuse experience coercive control. And uh, so now Deborah is an advocate to help uh, protect victims. That's what she's doing now. And so she kind of ran down and I've got a video for you guys to watch, but through Deborah's story, we saw that he initially appeared to be a perfect partner, which again, it's too good to be true. It probably is. Uh, He ran errands for her. He praised her beauty and her abilities, told her how much he loved her, like I think the first night almost. Um, He loved being around her. She called this his uh, continuous doting. She called it love bombing. So I thought that was an interesting term, love bombing. And basically she said it's intoxicating to have someone love you and value that intensely. And I think that's what we keep seeing. There's this initial intense connection. So I thought that was kind of interesting. It might be a clue. She said, I think in the beginning he was studying me to such a degree that he knew what to ask, what to say, and what to do. I also think that he, she was an easy read. Um, and I'm sure she talked about her family, probably other marriages. So he was meeting those needs right off the bat. He knew which needs she needed met and was meeting those right off the bat. Mm-hmm. I agree. And uh, Laura Richards, she's the criminal behaviorist that she used to run the homicide prevention unit for the new Scotland Yard. And she's also the one that spearheaded getting that criminalized in uh, England and Wales. And she said, uh, quote, these pseudo-caring tactics appear to be thoughtful and attentive, 
but they have a more sinister purpose. So she said that John and others like him are attentive at first because they're trying to get as much information as possible so that they can fill in all the gaps of the target's life to create codependency. So I thought that was interesting. Very interesting. So that's what they do. They're when they're listening and they appear attentive and meeting your needs, they're not doing it because they love you. They're trying to get data so they know how to really get you hooked in. Yeah. So you're right, Elaine. I'm sure she mentioned several things, felt comfortable with them. And you know, because the first night he knows where she lives. I'm like, what the heck? There is no way if I met someone on a dating website, I'd let them know where I live. And she let him in, and then she said, you're going too fast, made him leave. So he knew not to do that, and he went a slower approach with flowers and then showed up. Yep. Mm-hmm. To a degree. Right. First date, you give, you give information on a first date, you know. So She was yeah. trusting, too. I would never let him come to my house. I think she believed everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In spite of the past of seeing her sister shot or having her sister shot. So mm-hmm. is, that's kind of a weird thing. So she said that where it felt like John was enhancing her life and helping her lift it to her highest potential, he was actually exerting coercive control to hook her in deep. And so here's a video of some of his other victims. And let me share my screen with you. We'll have to... It's given the ad, sorry. So this is on oxygen. You can't hear it. When I look at some of the women, I think we're trusting. We are good human beings. So we're not going to detect the evil in others as well. He was very sweet. He treated me well. I saw no signs in the beginning. John was amazing. I mean, it could be yellow, and he would tell me that it was purple, and I would believe it. Every lie he told, he had some kind of story on, no, this is what really happened. There were other single girls where I worked. That's prettier, prettier, and I think it was very calculated that he chose me. I just think I was too trusting and naive. And I just got caught up in that, you know, falling in love as an adult and having a happy ending. So I called Tanya. She said he had a drug problem. She said he was crazy. She she told me everything that I should have believed, everything I should listen to, and it didn't. Then one day I got a phone call from a woman who lived in Newport Beach. She said, are you dating John Mann? And I said, yes, I am. We've been dating for quite a while. She had told me that John's a drug addict and he's also lost his nursing license. I chose to believe John. When he left me that night, I thought he was going out on a date with someone else. But I'm pretty sure he went to go sell drugs. I recovered a a syringe from his suitcase, and it tested positive for narcotics and benzodiazepines. John asked me if I had access to any expired drugs. He said that he was helping kids in an orphanage. I said, absolutely not. I just kind of, like, have chills when I think about, because he was staring at me, and I felt uncomfortable. And now I think, oh, my God, I wonder what was going on in his mind. When I heard about the other women, I felt a sense of... Guilt. 
that I got off so easily. This was the fight of my life. I had to stand up to him and and not let him take me down. He was evil from the time he was a child. I was just a small portion of that life. I felt really horrible for all the women that did not come out of it unscathed. I feel really bad for what they went through. One thing that I think is really important is knowing that you're not alone. There are so many women that are ashamed by what's happening to them. They shouldn't be. They just happened to meet the wrong man. Okay. I don't understand that shame in the victims and the guilt. Because you, if you would have noticed a person had him put in jail, I think, or did something, he couldn't harm somebody else. That'd make you feel a little bad, guilty. And I think, you know, part of it, too, when you're dealing with situations like that, you feel so duped, you know, and it's embarrassing. I mean, I've, I've been, you know, involved in situations where I thought someone was a friend or they, you know, they were a good person. And I believed them and then found out they were manipulating or they weren't who they said they were. And it's, you know, it's kind of embarrassing and you feel like you almost feel stupid. Like, why didn't I see that? So I don't know about shame, though. I think definitely embarrassed because I think, you know, me being the you know type of person I am, I don't think I should ever get, you know, um, snickerdoodled. That's not the word. What's what's Catfish? maybe don't know. No. Might, be, might be getting hungry anyway. Um, so but I just, you know, how that one lady says she talked to her and she believed John over the lady because the one with the dark hair that said I was in that fight for my life that's his first yeah. life but you know what I just have to say this even in your own life a husband a wife or even a, a child anybody there's a sort of manipulation with anybody to make them you can manipulate a family member to make them do what you want them to do and there's always a main person in the family that people can eventually adjust how they say, how they do things, because they know that person, that main one, and there's a little manipulation, maybe a little scared, a little of a reaction from somebody. I can see that. Yeah. yeah me it's too. Mm-hmm. So that's the initial hook. And um, I, I this, this quote is interesting to me. I can't remember where I first read it. But it said, ultimately, Dirty John is a character study in evil. And evil is a big word. But when people who knew him speak about Meehan, that's the word they reach for. When Meehan first walked into lawyer John, I can't pronounce his last name, uh, Santa Ana office, he was struck by a thought. He said, I am sitting here in the presence of evil incarnate. And he he recalled thinking that in the Dirty John podcast, you know, that people like him really do exist. And one has just come into your orbit. Scariest man I've met in my 70 years. That's an interesting. He was scared when he walked in. He said, yeah. They could just feel he that from him. Yeah. But the women couldn't. I wonder if they couldn't, all of them, or they just didn't see. They, I think they saw and they ignored. Right. Well, right. Now, the next phase is isolation. So you got the initial hook and then... Because, you know, course of control, they go into the isolation phase. And this is um, key because you got to isolate your victim from all family and friends, especially those who will have any influence on them. 
So you got to get complete control over their life. Now, some do it through just violence. They'll isolate their spouse by just beating the crap out of them if they talk to their mom or if they, you know, have a friend, you know, predators like John, though, they do it more covertly. So uh, Deborah said at first, you think he's really in love with you and wants you all to himself, you know, for that reason. But then he started telling her that her kids were spoiled and too dependent on her. Um, Other forms of coercive control include telling someone what they can wear, how to live, tracking their movements, controlling their finances, and then intimidation with subtle threats. Like, remember the time he said that he could blow away Jacqueline from, like, what, 50 yards or something? I mean, that's that's a subtle threat. Mm-hmm. So you can see that coercive control accomplishes the same goals as being the hell out of a victim, which is why Deborah and other advocates are trying to increase the awareness of this and the dangers of, of coercive control through education and also legislation, because it's still not a law here, you know, in America. Really? Yeah, so you can coerce of control all day. Right. They're not going to arrest you. But stalking, they will. And I, I can see how it's kind of tricky because, you know, how would you prove coercive control? You know, what does that look like? Stalking, phone calls, things like that. I guess you could do the same with coercive. I don't know. Now, to me, coercive control is just as dangerous, if not more so, because it doesn't seem dangerous. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like if someone regularly beats you or threatens you with a weapon, absolutely. But this is just, yeah. you know, and, and so not all law enforcement recognize the danger, of course, of control. Now, Deborah said that once she figured out how dangerous Meehan was, she went to four different police departments to try to get help and no one would. Mm-hmm. So I think both victims and law enforcement could more easily dismiss it because it's so subtle. And then the person under the control doesn't recognize it, recognize it at first. But both of them, stalking and coercive control, can end fatally. The highest risk is when the victim leaves. So uh, 76% of murders happen on separation and 80% within the first four months. So that's a very high percentage. Now, um, like Some eight years. Elsie Underwood waited, I think, a year. And then there's um, one uh, lady I want to study for next year where it was 10 years after she left. 10 years? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. So here's some signs, of course, of control uh, that I want to give people that listen to this. Uh, one is isolation. So the way they do this is they want to share phone and social media accounts for convenience. Uh, Another one's moving you far away from your family, fabricating lies about you to others. Like, you know, your mom doesn't want to talk to you. She doesn't, you know, want to come over anymore. You know, just stuff like that to get them away. Monitoring your phone calls with your families and convincing you that your family doesn't want to talk to you anymore. The purpose is to cut off all of your support system and those who would see what's happening and try to help you. Number two, they'll monitor all of your activities, including want to even put cameras in inside your house. And I've seen that with several abusive men, they recording devices, even private areas like uh, bedrooms, bathrooms, they'll put those in there and it's, and you know it, you know, they're in there. They, they want to do it to humiliate you and violate boundaries. They say it for safety reasons. Right. Mm-hmm. And then uh, three denying you freedom and autonomy by allowing you not to go to work, go to school, 
They'll restrict your access to transportation, stock every move when you're out, and they'll even take your phone and change all your passwords. So you're no longer an individual person. You're their property. Now, gaslighting. So this is very common, and it's a form of emotional abuse by manipulating a person by forcing them to question their thoughts, memories, and the events occurring around them. A victim can be pushed to the point of questioning their own sanity. An example on one article I read said that your partner might say he wants a steak for dinner, so you cook it, but then when he comes home, he throws it on the floor and screams that he wanted burgers, but you're too stupid to follow directions. And that actually Mm -hmm. happened to my mother-in-law, her first marriage. Um, He'd have her make a, like, I think it was banana bread with raisins. And um, then he'd have her pick out all the raisins. Uh, Yeah. Your Mm mother-in-law? Yeah, her first husband. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so she left. He had made her pick them all in. Yeah. Yep. And then name-calling and putting you down to make you feel unimportant. Um, They limit your access to money by placing you on a strict budget that barely covers the essentials. And then they limit your access to bank accounts and then also hide financial resources. They don't let you have a credit card and they monitor what you spend. Number seven, they enforce traditional gender roles. I thought this was interesting. So the man is to go to work and make the money while little wifey stays at home. So that was, yeah, that was interesting. Uh, They'll turn the kids against you by weaponizing them against you, making them believe you're uh, you're a bad parent or they'll belittle you in front of them. They'll control aspects of your health and body body by monitoring and controlling how much you eat, sleep, or the time you spend in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And some might even require that you count calories after every meal and follow a strict exercise regimen. They also make uh, jealous accusations, whether it's the amount of time you spend with your friends and family or even accusing you of having affairs or liking someone romantically when you don't. And then the final two are they'll regulate your sexual relationship by demanding sex-specific amounts each week and the kinds of activities you're required to perform or and they'll threaten your children or parents or pets by making violent threats against them threatening to call social services on you, intimidating by threatening to make important decisions about the children without your consent, or threatening to kidnap them or get rid of your pet. Some of those sounded familiar. Yeah. And the gaslighting, I've seen that. That's very common in women I've talked to that are under this. The making you feel unimportant and stupid is very common. Uh, Dominance in finances is very common. I've seen that a lot. Um, there should be more safeguards, especially financial. Yeah. Because you can do anything now to an account, whether your spouse is on there or not. Right. Bank let you do it, credit cards online, you can do whatever. And you can find someone now. If you're abused, Yeah, it's too bad. You can Google, they can find where you are. Yeah. Well, and I, I knew a lady that... She didn't go into details about their sex life, but she she did say that he always made her dress provocatively. And I'm like, why is she dressing that way? And not only that, but, you know, just they were people of faith. And so normally, you know, you don't dress provocatively. I'm talking like things that maybe sex workers would wear. 
And uh, I later found out that's he wanted her to dress that way. And she couldn't do it in town because they knew too many people. So when they would go on vacations and stuff, she'd make her dress that way. Uh, and then they'd have, you know, like pictures and she'd post the, the least provocative ones on Facebook. Um, but it was like she was a trophy and he wanted to show her off. Or he manipulates so people stay away from her. Yeah. 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 Well, and that lady we were discussing an earlier one, I told her, I said, everything he's accusing you of, he's doing. So, you know, it's a guarantee, just turn it around backwards. And so that's what they do as well. So uh, I just wanted to have those signs for people and describe coercive control for people that maybe are in that situation or they're, they're not sure. So what De- Deborah did is she gathered resources and people to help her get out. And we know that even with all of that help, John still went after her daughter, which is a mm-hmm. huge fear that will keep people in these relationships and so they know, they know their abuser is going to come after them or their family. You know, they've been told that. So, um, and he went to the weakest daughter. Yes. As far as, as, far as physical and personality. Yeah. That is a mistake. Right. Um, so others just don't see it sometimes when they're in those relationships. So you want to keep that in mind if you're helping them. Um, it can be frustrating. And it's probably a good idea to get a professional to help if possible. And we've got some great resources you know, on our website, but uh, it is a tricky thing. And so we've got a couple where uh, it can help you get out of that relationship that it, a couple articles that Elena found. But is there anything I want to add? Have y'all ever met anybody that you thought were in, uh, was in coercive control? I, I knew someone that was, but they never left and went to those organizations because they thought, the person could find them mm-hmm. because some of them aren't so private anymore. Right. I mean, you know, in Cleveland where the shelter is, everybody knows where it yeah, is. Yeah, the women's shelter. It's not private. They're scared they'll find them. And they don't press charges because they're scared it'll make them mad when they get out there and be really in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. But, I, I mean, there's a lot of different resources out there. So I think just finding the best, safest one that you mm-hmm. can. Um, or at least talk to someone. Yeah. And from what Deborah said, that she actually went back with him temporarily just to get out safely, mm-hmm. and he still went after her daughter. Mm-hmm.